BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, airports and public transit agencies in California are creating a patchwork of mask policies after a judge in Florida overturned the federal mask mandate. Major airlines, as well as LAX, SFO, San Diego, and San Jose airports all made masks optional. So did LA's bus service and Southern California's Metrolink rail service, while San Francisco Muni and Caltrain announced they were keeping their mask requirement for now. This hour, we hear how you're processing the abrupt change and take your questions about health and safety. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The Biden administration says it will appeal a Florida judge's decision Monday that overturned the federal mask mandate on planes and public transportation if the CDC says masks are still needed at this stage of the pandemic. Case numbers have risen in California as the highly contagious BA2 variant has taken hold, but already local transit agencies, ride-hailing services, and major airlines, in some cases mid-flight, told travelers that masks are no longer required. Joining me first with the latest on the legal case and its impact, Selena Simmons-Duffin, a health policy correspondent at NPR. Selena, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, I'm so glad to be here. We're really glad to have you. And if we could just step back a bit, can you tell us about the case and the judge who set off this abrupt change in the mass requirement for travelers and riders? Yeah, of course. So the this case was filed last July, um, and there were two individual plaintiffs in one organization called the Health Freedom Defense Fund that is based in Idaho, but there's very little information about it. Um, it cropped up pretty recently. Um, and it, you know, it's just not super clear exactly who is um, involved with it and where their funding comes from, et cetera. 
But the two individual plaintiffs in the case um, have anxiety, and they said that the masks for on planes made that anxiety worse, and anxiety was not an exempted condition, so they were not exempted from the requirement to wear masks. And so they challenged this requirement from CDC on a bunch of different fronts, you know, not just that CDC didn't have the authority to do this, but also that they didn't issue the rule in the right way by opening up it up for public comment, et cetera. And in this opinion that came out on Monday, um, Judge Catherine Kimball Mizell um, basically agreed with all of their arguments and found that this requirement from CDC was unlawful in a lot of different ways. She vacated the rule and um, she said it was unlawful and it went away in the blink of an eye. It was really mm. sudden. Not just in the blink of an eye, but for the entire country. Uh, what can you yes. tell us about the judge in Florida? I understand that there have been questions about her qualifications. Well, she's a quite new judge. She was nominated by President Trump um, and confirmed and she was, she's also very young. She was uh, confirmed at age 33. And the American Bar Association gave her an unqualified rating um, because of her limited time practicing law and her lack of trial experience. Um, but she was confirmed. And um, she, you know, at, I've been talking to public health law experts who are reading this decision. And, um, you know, they, they say, it could be that she's a generalist. It could be that she's a newer judge, but she just seems to not have done a very good job understanding the public health principles at play. Um, maybe she, they say that maybe she willfully misunderstood some of the terms that were being used uh, or, or maybe she just honestly didn't understand them, but basically it just doesn't, the reasoning is not impressive. Mm. Um, and it, it reads, one of my sources told me it reads like a first year law student's final exam. Another source told me it was a legal and public health abomination of an opinion. So oh, wow. some, some really strong words from legal experts looking at this opinion. Yes, it sounds like they're really questioning the justification, regardless of how long she has spent time on the bench or practicing law. Well, late yesterday, the Biden administration said it would appeal the ruling if the CDC deemed masks still necessary. Can you talk a little bit about why the administration is basically walking this fine line here? Why not just appeal it outright? Well, it's kind of a tricky uh, moment time-wise. The the originally this requirement was going to expire on the day that this opinion came out, but last week CDC said they were extending it for two more weeks to take a look at this new variant BA2 and see what it was doing in terms of transmission across the country, whether it was there was going to be a big surge in cases and whether it was prudent to keep the requirement in place for longer. Um, so, you know, potentially after those two weeks, they might've said, you know what, like this variant isn't too um, concerning. Let's go ahead and let the, let this requirement expire. And, you know, we feel like we're in pretty good shape. We have the virus under control, but they didn't have a chance to really do that review. Um, you know, so the, I think that one of the concerns is that there is some legal risk in appealing right away. If this went to the 11th circuit court of appeals, 
and the government lost in the on the many counts that this trial court judge found the the requirement to be deficient um that would have more weight in terms of precedent um and especially if this went to the supreme court and the government didn't win um even partially in in some cases like in some on some of these points then you know there's a concern that that would hamstring the agency further and you know it, this is kind of tricky line where congress mm. has delegated authority to cdc and it's broad authority it's designed to be flexible but it's not there you know there aren't explicit um there, there isn't anything explicit in the statute that says cdc can you know make you wear masks on an airplane you know it's it's much broader than that and so that's why you get into the the kind of legal arguments that we find ourselves in now um and i think there's a real concern that cdc should have the authority to put rules in place to protect the public when there is a threat like COVID-19. Um, and the government is trying to figure out how to navigate that the kind of difficult legal situation while also dealing with a public that feels quite ambivalent about masks in general um, and potentially wouldn't be very responsive to this suddenly coming back after it's just been pulled away on Monday. Uh, yeah. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that if, say, this case reached the appellate level and they too decided that the CDC overstepped, it could really undercut the CDC's authority. You'd have these two official entities undercutting the authority of the CDC to make uh decisions about how to mitigate risk during a pandemic and, for example, saying things like people should wear masks. Um, but at the same time, it also sounds like you're saying that uh, if the CDC, let's say it deemed masks still necessary in a couple of weeks and the Justice Department swiftly appealed as as the Biden administration says it would, that you're really wondering if people would follow the mask mandate. Could you just talk a little bit about the immediate reaction we saw from the travel industry and the impact that you've heard that it had on travelers? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some local places that still have mask requirements. Um, in terms of the industry, all major airlines almost instantaneously said masks are now optional. Um, very few public transit systems are hanging on to the mask requirement. Um, I think New York City still has a mask requirement on public transit, but it those are the exception, not the rule here. Um, and you know, I would say that one one of the challenges here, I've done a lot of reporting on public health messaging, and people have had a lot of complaints with CDC in terms of their messaging, especially about masks, actually, throughout the pandemic. Um, public health messaging will only work if the, if the public trusts it and understands it, right? And so if you're in a situation where a big news story broke on Monday and masks are now optional on transit, everybody, you know, everybody who is eager to takes their masks off and then they're, you know, you get into this kind of protracted legal battle 
and it's maybe appealed and what's happening and CDC says it's still necessary. And do I wear my mask? Do I not wear my mask? I feel like that is a recipe for confusion, frustration, and conflict. And that those are not productive elements to have when you're come when you're trying to, you know, execute on a public health response that's going to keep people as safe as possible. It's it's almost an impossible situation right now. If, as you say, CDC comes back and says masks are necessary, this variant is very concerning. You can't put this genie back in the bottle. Is is how I look at it. Do you have any idea when we'll hear from the CDC about whether or not they think masks are still necessary? Well, I did reach out to a CDC contact and received a response last night, but it did not have any timeline on it. Um, you know, CDC originally said we're going we're gonna to take two weeks to look at the variant, this new variant and how it's spreading. It does have a considerable advantage over Omicron in terms of how transmissible it is, and we already you know, saw that Omicron itself was very transmissible. So this thing spreads really fast. Um, but again, you can't, if, if CDC's goal is to look at transmission and see where cases are going and see, you know, what mitigation needs to happen, you can't really do that on a tight deadline. You have to see how this is going to play out. And so it could be that CDC needs that two weeks to assess the situation and to figure out, you know, what's happening with this new variant and what the response should be. Um, but they're not putting a timeline on it at this point. And in the meantime, as you say, the genie is already out of the bottle. What do you make of the national mood, given the fact that so many agencies, the airline industry, other private companies, immediately made masks optional? Uh, there was a piece in the Mercury News with a tweet from someone who described that they found out mid-flight, uh, and they had boarded the flight with a different expectation, and also with young children who could not be vaccinated. And so the fact that people went for it that quickly, what does that tell you? Oh, my gosh, I feel I really feel for people who were in that situation. You know, even if this rule had expired on Monday, people would have been able to make their plans with that expectation, as you say, knowing that this is what's happening, there's a change coming. Do you want to adjust your travel plans? You know, I've heard of people feeling like they can't go to their daughter's wedding or can't see their child receive their doctorate now because they're at too high risk. And when you don't have everyone, you know, masked on a plane, especially domestic flights, you don't have any testing requirements. So the masks are really the only um, mitigation measure for people who were at risk. Um, you know, that it's, it's a, it's a really, really difficult situation. And some people have been saying that that quick response happened because people are tired and that, and that may be true, but it, I think it really was a shock to the system. Selena Simmons Duff and health policy correspondent for NPR. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks for having me. We'll be talking more about overturning the federal mask mandate and its impact after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the impact of overturning the federal mask mandate on public transportation and planes, buses, and in transit hubs. This was on Monday when a Florida judge made this call. And on the line now, we have Rachel Armstrong, a flight attendant with Allegiant Airlines and vice president of TWU Local 577. Rachel Armstrong, thanks so much for coming back on Forum. Thanks for having me, Mina. As a flight attendant, so curious what your reaction is to the change that masks are optional on Allegiant. Well, it's a very mixed um, emotion for all of us. We're very relieved and elated to no longer have to enforce these masks or even wear them for 14 hours a day. And that's because we have taken so much abuse over the past two years, Hmm. both physically and mentally. And it's not that we're anti-mask. I think people are seeing a lot of videos of flight attendants celebrating, but we are anti-abuse. And the the abuse was more of a concern for us than COVID ever was. And that's super unfortunate. Um, You have to think if it's between getting COVID and getting punched in the face, you're much more likely to wanna get COVID instead. And that's basically where we were at. Well, the fact that that is where you're at, and that's, of course, why we had you on previously, just to talk about how terrible those experiences had become for flight attendants, but that you are making, you are having to grapple with that doesn't mean that it necessarily takes probably other concerns away from you, other concerns potentially about your health or safety. I am curious, Rachel, what worries you now? Um, A mixture of concerns. Um, We're already having staffing shortages. I mean, that's just happening within the industry everywhere, even in places like Europe. Uh, It's not only COVID outbreaks that are happening, but also people are just leaving the industry as a whole. So my worry is that we're going to see record-breaking numbers with travel this summer, and that's a concern. It's, we're already in a staffing shortage, and I think that if you were to put COVID outbreaks uh, with our work group happening, I mean, that would just put, put so much more strain on not only the travel industry, but flight attendants. Um, you know, we're, we're our, we've been at our breaking point so many times the past two years that it's really scary and concerning to think that we may be going back there. Um, I think there's also some concern about if this were to be reinstated, that the abuse would be so much worse than it has been. Mm. Um, it's it, And that's really sad. I mean, I think so many of our flight attendants really used to love their job um, and that's not really the case anymore. So right now it's a bittersweet. I think people are celebrating, but for most of us, I think we know that this isn't the end of it. People's rage and their abuse is not just going to go away because the mask has been lifted. Do you think you will continue to mask, Rachel? So... That is something that I 
honestly haven't even had the time to think about because this happened in the middle of the day yesterday. And I, I worked a flight, got off at noon and I was thinking, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not working right now. Um, I think that I've been thinking about it for actually the past day. And I think that I probably will um, I think that there is going to be a lot of peer pressure, even within my work group, flight attendants between other flight attendants. And it's kind of what we've seen um, before during the pandemic when people started wearing masks or weren't wearing masks. Why aren't you wearing a mask? Now it's going to be, well, why are you wearing a mask? It's kind of like if your friend shows up to happy hour um, and they're sober, you're going to ask them, well, why aren't you drinking? It's going to be that same kind of peer pressure that we um, we're dealing with before, and I foresee some bullying happening, um, not with only within our work group, but also between passengers. You mean bullying for wearing a mask? You're saying it's kind of shifting to peer pressure not to wear a mask. Yes. But yet you still want to do it. Um, we've heard a lot from airlines about how safe their air is and so on, but, uh, but it sounds like it's still something you feel like is the right thing to do. So, I mean, I think Selena touched on this a little bit, but my concern is, yes, the kids and the people that are immune compromised, people that have cancer, I don't think that this has, wearing a mask has made an impact on people so much that now if they are sick, they will walk on a plane and wear a mask. We should all be wearing masks if we have a cold, either don't go or wear a mask. And I think that because this has been such a jaded political topic, that people are now going to want to entirely abandon the mask, even when I think it's a, an incredibly effective tool to be used. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's going to be an awkward couple of weeks for flight attendants because they're actually thinking, should I continue to wear a mask? I mean, that's never been an option for us for two years. Rachel Armstrong, a flight attendant at Allegiant Airlines, vice president of TWU Local 577. Thank you, Rachel. Really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thanks for having me back. And listeners, I'd like to invite you to join the conversation. I'm really curious about whether or not you worry about the pressure not to mask now as uh, as this mandate has been overturned. Uh, also, what it's been like for you on flights or mass transit recently since the mandate was overturned. Also, if you have any questions about what happens now, what, what, what the status is in terms of health and safety, you can call us at 866-733-6786. Again, that number is 866-733-6786. You can reach us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Joining us now, Dr. Peter Chin Hong, an infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center. Dr. Chin Hong, really glad to have you back as well. Thanks for having me on, Mina. So uh, this may feel like an abrupt change for many people who are now used to masking on airplanes and also buses and trains and so on to start to see people unmasking around them. I, I want to start with airplanes and ask you about sort of a similar question that I asked Rachel, which was related to the fact that we generally understand that planes have sophisticated air filtration systems and tend to be safer. What is your assessment of that? And how do you think people should manage their risk when they're traveling by plane? So the plane itself, Mina, is pretty safe, comparable to hospital settings in terms of ventilation. But that is when the plane is up and running and in the sky. The travel is a continuum after all, and there are lots of uh, pressure points in the journey that uh, makes one a little bit nervous, like lining up on the jetway or waiting 
before the plane is taking off when it's hot and everyone's like using their in-flight magazine to find themselves. So I think that uh, while true that the ventilation is excellent on planes, um, there are a few caveats. And how should people protect themselves? Well, I think the onus now is on the individual. Um, and that means if you are at risk, um, and we can get into that some more, you have to up your mask game, you have to look at your neighbors. And of course, the ventilation, it's not like a giant vacuum cleaner is or a tube is coming down as that person next to you is coughing or laughing uncontrollably in a, at an in-flight movie. Um, you know, it, there is going to be risk, um, yes. but it depends in this new world how you're going to navigate it. Yes. So does a mask offer protection if you or no one around you wear one? How effective is it now? Yes. Yeah, so the mask by itself probably isn't the be all and end all, but it is um, very potent when combined with other strategies like vaccination and boosting. And we do know that uh, there have been multiple studies, both in the lab and in the real world, with um, masking being protective, but you have to wear the right mask. I think that, um, again, coming back to upping your mask game, you know, the, the baseline, we've changed from cloth to surgical. And I think now people who are at risk for getting seriously ill or infected, depending on, on your threshold for infection, would have to at least start off with an N95 or a more comfortable KN95 or KF94 um, for that flight. Well, we've got calls coming in. Let me go to Kira in Oakland. Hi, Kira. Hi. Um, I am such a fan and longtime listener. Thank you for having me on. I am immunocompromised. I have um, Crohn's disease and I have to take an immunosuppressant medication to you know, help with my incurable lifelong disease. And I feel really shut out by this decision and society in general, um, not thinking about people like myself in this position. Um, fortunately, I was able to get vaccinated because my condition isn't that extremely serious where I can't even get the shot. But I'm mostly afraid, you know, I'm, I'm 35. I'm mostly afraid of getting long-term COVID and having a second additional incurable disease to live with for who knows how long. Um, and also just, I feel for people with children under five, I mean, it just feels like, you know, as a society, we participate to, you know, we wear seatbelts, we do things to keep each other safe. We don't drink and drive. And I don't understand how wearing a mask can be so harmful to other people if we're going to protect each other as a whole and think of the collective and not just the individual, you know, minor inconvenience. Well, Kira, thank you for sharing that. I'm sorry that is what you're feeling. And Dr. Chin Hong, I do want to ask you, does this recent decision, I mean, immunocompromised people have had to manage this, manage their risk, make these kinds of decisions throughout, but does this also change the calculation? What do they need to do differently? Yes, I think it does change the calculation. If not, you know, the science hasn't changed, but I think uh, the, the psychology has changed. And I've known so many of my patients who've actually sheltered in place for the whole two years because they were afraid to go outside. And I think this is going to be a big dent on people's confidence uh, in navigating this new world. So I've been telling my patients, please don't not engage with life, but, to, but do so with a game plan. And the game plan is really, you know, again, as we talked about having a better mask, but most importantly, talking to your healthcare professional before you go on a trip so you know how to access some of these medicines that can 
keep you out of the hospital, like oral pills, or if you haven't responded to vaccines, get a monoclonal antibody like Evusheld, that's a vaccine substitute. So all of these things I think are important uh, in the pregame. Well, let me go to caller Marcus and Montara next. Hi, Marcus. Hey, how you doing? Hey, um, you know, this may seem a little contrary to uh, the other people that have been on, but I've been, you know, a lifelong liberal. I'm 64 years old. Uh, got two teenage boys um, where everybody's vaccinated in our house. And I think this is a great idea that uh, they're finally lifting the mask mandate. I just think that, uh, you know, you look at the, the map, COVID cases are down in this country. Uh, knowing a little bit about viruses, I read the book about the 1918 virus. Uh, they tend to mutate into less virulent forms. This one looks like it's doing that as well. Of course, I'm not a doctor, so I don't really know for sure, but it appears that way. Um, and, you know, contagion and disease is going to be with us forever. I mean, we're always going to have to live with an acceptable amount of risk in the world. And, uh, I mean, I mean, when does it stop? I mean, we have, uh, you know, uh, we, we, at some point we're going to stop. We're going to have to stop masking up. And I think it's about time that we did. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for the people that are immunocompromised, people that are overweight, whatever, that might be more susceptible. But, you know, they certainly do have the option to wear an N95 mask, and that is their choice to do that if they choose to do that, and that should provide adequate protection. But, um, you know, I think for the vast majority of people, you know, 99.99% of the people, it's probably it's time to end the mask mandate. And- well, Marcus, thanks for sharing your perspective on this. And Dr. Chin Hong, what should we know about the risk of contracting COVID-19 or BA2 for an unmasked person? So the risk is really high, actually, and it just depends on what you consider to be your goalpost. Uh, we know that uh, Omicron is is much more transmissible than the other variants because, um, you know, our, our vaccines aren't quite as good as stopping at the front gate, but well protected against serious disease. BA2 is about either, at least 30 to 80 percent more transmissible. And then the new variants described in New York, uh, BA2.12.1, they're an additional 25% more transmissible. So it's a new world. And I think the reason for being a little bit nervous about this, although I agree with uh, Marcus and his spirit, is that it's kind of a dynamic picture now. You're having more than 100% increase in many cities on the East Coast, more than 200% of, case, of cases in Puerto Rico and tickling up on the West Coast. So I think it's kind of, the CDC is not saying let's have masks on indefinitely, but we wanted to just see what would happen in the two weeks post-holidays. Well, Uber and Lyft both announced that they're no longer requiring drivers and passengers to mask. And on the line right now, we have Sergio Avidian, a senior contributor to the Rideshare Guy, which is a blog focused on the gig economy. Also, Sergio is a part-time driver for Uber and Lyft. Sergio, thanks so much for being on with us. Thank you for having me. So I want to know what your reaction was when Uber and Lyft both announced that they weren't going to require drivers and passengers to mask. Um, you know, my reaction is for all the drivers, to be honest with you, uh, for the last three months or so, uh, we ran a survey and the survey suggested that a lot of drivers were taking this issue personally, meaning, you know, some were wearing masks, some were not. Uh, however, up until yesterday, Uber and Lyft had a clear mandate that uh, if you approach a passenger for pickup, 
and they were not masked, you had the right to cancel the ride right then and there and move on. Um, personally speaking, for the past month or so, I've been just going with the flow as a driver. I'm also a passenger on both platforms. Mm -hmm. um, so if I had a passenger that approached the car without a mask, um, I would put my passenger window down halfway and ask to confirm that I'm picking up the right person. But once they said, is it okay if I don't wear a mask? I've been just going with the flow and not wearing, you know, a lot, a lot of them, you know, in my car. Um, I think, I think it's time, like the previous speaker said that, um, you know, we lifted the mask mandate. The only problem with rideshare is that um, on Uber and Lyft, there are shared rides or pool rides. Now, I don't know, Uber and Lyft both stopped those types of rides. Um, right when the pandemic started, and they're still not allowed, meaning you can pick up two, three, four different passengers at different locations. Um, that may be an issue. Uh, if they bring that back on, some drivers may shy away from doing those types of rides. And lastly, part of this uh, lifting the mask mandate uh, also allows now four passengers to get in our car, meaning the usage of the front seat is back in play. Mm. Um, up until... Uh, you know, yesterday you could only, as an Uber X, Uber X is the most popular platform on, on Uber. Um, you could only allow three people in the car. Now, uh, according to the email that I received from Uber, uh, we're allowed to, or we can accept four people in our car. So that may be an issue also with a lot of drivers. You know, my front seat is off limits still. If I see a group of four people approaching the car, I'm just going to uh, cancel the ride and move on. So what would you, I, I know you take precautions to try to reduce transmission, but what would you like passengers who are getting in your car to do? How would you like them to behave? Um, to be honest with you, for the past two months or three months or so, um, this mask issue created a lot of friction between drivers and, and passengers. I mean, I've had passengers, almost I would say half the passengers would come in the car without a mask. Um, I won't let them, you know, up until last month or so. But, um, you know, the, the friction also is life-changing for a lot of drivers. So if a driver chooses not to wear a mask, a passenger can report that to Uber and Uber would basically has the right to deactivate that driver. Deactivate meaning take them off the platform and there goes their livelihood. And uh, vice versa, if a passenger refused to wear a mask, you know, as a driver, I could downrate that passenger and uh, then Uber takes the issue to the next step, which will be next time that passenger orders a ride, Uber asks them to confirm that they're wearing a mask. So I think a lot of this created so much friction between ideologies, to be honest with you, more than anything else. Personally, I'm still going to wear a mask. Like today, I did a few rides just to figure out um, you know, how many passengers even knew about Uber allowing the no mask policy. And um, honestly, I did like six rides. Nobody knew. Uh, I guess Uber did not push the uh, push that email to the passengers yet. Nobody knew that uh, the mask mandate was lifted. Well, I hope that friction changes for you. Thanks for giving us the context of that kind of pressure. Sergio Avidian, a driver for Uber and Lyft. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you for having me. And we'll have more about the impact of overturning the federal mask mandate on transportation after the break. Stay with us, listeners. This is Forum.
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about a federal judge's decision in Florida to overturn the federal mask mandate on public transportation, planes, buses, transit hubs on Monday, and the impact that it's already had. Dr. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center, is with us. To take your questions about what this raises for you in terms of questions about health and safety, we're also hearing listeners weigh in about what it's been like for them on flights or mass transit and how they're feeling about uh the latest move at the trial court level to overturn the federal mask mandate. Robert writes, good for San Francisco agencies, maintaining mask requirements for public transit, smart common sense policy, given rising subvariant cases. Let me go to caller Mary in Alameda. Hi, Mary. Hi. I am on public transit in the Bay Area, particularly AC transit in the East Bay. During the pandemic, they literally bolted all their windows closed, the small window above the big panels that open for ventilation. The interest supposedly was that with the back vent open, it would recirculate air more quickly. I would say the majority of the time, the back vent is not open. With the mask mandate being lifted, I find it, I was uncomfortable before, but I find this very concerning with mm. the mask mandate being lifted with AC transit. Well, Mary, thanks for sharing your observations. Dr. Chin Hong, how should passengers on buses, trains, subways, especially entities where it is unlikely or not always the case that windows are open, how should they assess their risks? I know it's so it's so hard, Mina. I think the other dimension that's being lost in this whole discussion is one of equity. I think we can all run out and get the highest quality mass, double mass, triple mass with the best things, what have you, but not all populations can. And that's what the spirit of initially having these recommendations for mass and public transit were. We have a disproportionate number of people from vulnerable populations who take these conveyances and they're not going to be protected. I think what you can do is just really um, uh, try to go at a time when there's fewer people. Uh, look at the weather, uh, COVID weather. So look at the cases. Uh, if they're looking, you know, if, if they're looking low enough, uh, it's going to be relatively less risky if you wear a good quality mask. Um, maybe think about uh, masking better if you couldn't open the window and, and have ventilation. I think when you talk to aerosol uh, experts, Buses are more risky than trains, and trains are more risky than airplanes. Airplanes are probably the least risky of, of, of all because of the ventilation. 
Well, BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit, said that face masks, face masks are still required at BART while they view options and that uh, the agency was seeking clarity from the state and if there will be a state-level mask mandate for transit. I'm really curious if, A, do you want the state to do this? And if you are thinking the state would even make these kinds of moves? Well, I think that uh, California has always sort of, um, you know, acted almost independently and the West Coast consortium of states with Washington State, Oregon, California, et cetera, have also looked at the data a little bit differently. So again, they may, you know, I think, again, we don't expect to have a mask mandate all the time, but in a period of uncertainty or a period of high numbers, uh, I know people focus on the fact that we have high amounts of population immunity, but again, it doesn't talk about the fact that even getting an infection means you're going to be taken out of the workforce for five days, uh, essential workers, people in healthcare, you're going to be taken out of school for five days. Uh, there's a, a small but measurable risk of chronic symptoms or long COVID with even getting an infection, although much lower if you're vaccinated and boosted. So I think these are all the the determinants that will go into that decision. And I, I don't think it's going to be an easy decision since there's so much politics uh, intertwined or infused with science that uh, the science seems very straightforward, but the politics is not. Hmm. Well, let me go to Katie in Guerneville. Hi, Katie. Hi. What would you like to share? So, well, um, my husband and I were flying back from Providence yesterday and um, our first flight was, you know, very normal COVID flight. And the second flight, we noticed that like 80% of the people weren't wearing, wearing masks and the flight attendants weren't wearing masks. So I hurried up and Googled what on earth was happening. And um, when they announced that the mask mandate had been lifted, everyone in the plane just like started screaming. And those who weren't wearing their masks, everyone that I could see at least ripped theirs off. And it was just very fascinating, interesting COVID flight. Yes, I, I bet it was quite, you know, sort of jarring or interesting to see that kind of reaction when we've all been so used to it. Thanks for sharing your experience. Totally. So yeah, listeners. you're welcome. Thanks. Um, what their experiences have been like in just the last couple of days. Carlos writes, the thing about airports is that the germs there are from all over the world. So when COVID numbers might be looking good in some states, the airports are likely to be pretty risky. Claudia writes, thank you so much for this program. We have an unvaccinated 14-month-old baby, and we have a family trip planned for next week. I'm struggling with the idea of boarding a plane with her since the mask mandate was lifted. What recommendations can you give on how to protect a young child who cannot mask in airports and on planes? I would hate to cancel our trip, but I'm incredibly worried about the safety of our baby. Dr. Chin Hong. That's such a difficult question because there's no right answer. It's all about risk mitigation. So the easiest thing to do is to build a wall of immunity around the kid in the community, as we had advised before, you know, vaccinating everyone around the unvaccinated kids. But on public transportation, when your risk isn't just your risk, it's the risk, it's the combined risk of the people around you. Uh, it, it, it really depends on, on who you live with. If you live with people who might get seriously ill back at, at, yeah, at home, uh, you may want to wait until the numbers are lower. Uh, if you don't live with elderly folks or immunocompromised folks, 
uh, you you basically watch for symptoms after five days. And it depends on how important this trip is. If the trip is to see your mom or your other grandparent who you haven't seen for two years and that grandparent uh, may not is not doing well, you may take that risk because we know that babies and kids under five, although the hospitalization did go up with Omicron, are still not going uh, uh, to the hospital in very large numbers. So that's the kind of difficult equations that you'd have to make. Well, Kathy writes, on the news last night, comments such as, we're tired of the masks, it's time to move on, and masks never worked anyway were common. Since when is being tired of doing something a good reason to stop doing it? Here comes another surge. Dr. Chin Hong, another thing that we hear is that COVID-19 has reached an endemic stage that's been used also as justification to do away with the mask mandate. Can I ask you, Dr. Chin Hong, does the disease match the definition of endemic at this point? Does COVID match it at this point in your view? No, it doesn't. Uh, It may um, have some features of what endemic disease is, which is a low background rate that you're willing to accept as a society in terms of numbers of deaths and people getting sick. But what it doesn't have, in my estimation, is the predictability. When we look at other diseases that we consider epidemic, of course, influenza is the poster child of that. It is predictable. We know when influenza is coming. We can prepare the the house with a storm. We can get all vaccinated. We know what kind of uh, uh, passengers put on the vaccination bus based on what's circulating before. So it's predictable. I think COVID is unpredictable. So it's hard to say what the pi or the rho or the sigma will look like next. And that's why I'm nervous about calling it endemic. I call it next phase rather than endemic yet until it's more predictable. Again, Dr. Peter Chinhong is an infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center. Lots of calls. Jasmine in Oakland next. Hi, Jasmine. Hi, good morning. I I just wanted to express a little bit of frustration with the attitude that exists around it's time we pulled off the mask. I think it just is incredibly selfish and frustrating as someone who has a three-year-old who is ineligible to be vaccinated and will be getting on a plane on Monday. It just really makes me sad to think that folks are so against just a small, I don't even know if I want to call it an inconvenience to them to protect the health of others. And I think that's a large part of the reason why we are where we are now. Um, And I wish that we had just a stronger communal sense of taking care of one another, even if it's not someone in our family who's immunocompromised or who's unable to get vaccinated. You know, they're still members of our community. They, They go to school with our children. We work with them. We see them in the grocery store, and I think we just need to have a lot more empathy for individuals. Um, I just I don't think it's time to take off the mask. I, I'll, I'll continue to wear mine, um, and you know, just hope that people just become much more empathetic and understanding, um, and and care just more for individuals who maybe are in the situations that they're in, um, and don't feel that level of comfort um, with taking yeah. off the mask yet because we're still. You know, we, we are likely to experience a surge coming from the East Coast soon. So the fact that folks are just ready to take the mask off is just really sad. Well, Jasmine, thanks for sharing how you're experiencing this. And certainly the pandemic has put our sense of empathy and community to the test. Let me go to Mark in Sunnyvale next. Hi, Mark. 
Hi, I was really glad to hear Dr. Chin Hong uh, talk about mask quality because um, while I personally neither loved nor hated wearing masks, I guess my biggest frustration with the mask mandates was that they allowed for cloth masks, which, like to my layperson's understanding, aren't nearly as, as protective. So I'm wondering, like, if we if we have to reinstate a mask mandate going forward, like how much how much sense does a mask mandate that allows for uh, cloth masks make sense mm. compared to one that requires more protective ones? Interesting, Mark. Cloth masks is even worth putting in a mask mandate if that's going to be an allowable type of mask, Dr. Peter Chin Hong. I think that yeah. surgical masks should be the baseline quality in the community if you're wearing one, and then you go up from there. I think cloth masks are only good to coordinate with your fashion as a double masking strategy. So you put the good tight-fitting mask underneath, and then you can wear whatever mask bling on top of it so that, uh, you know, to have some fun. Uh, but by themselves, cloth masks are only a distractor. Uh, they're placebo. And we are talking about the impact of overturning the federal mask mandate, which occurred Monday. We've been talking about the case, and now we're talking about the impact on you travelers, riders, people who work on flights or mass transit, um, and also taking your questions about health and safety. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A couple more comments to share. This listener writes, I hope the mass requirement on commercial and public transit and ride sharing can be reinstated so everyone can ride reasonably safely, especially those of us who are at high risk of severe illness from COVID or who live with someone who is. I live with a beloved family member who is at much higher risk of severe illness from COVID due to a weak immune system, and I don't want to risk giving COVID to him or anyone else. Also, I don't want to risk getting long COVID. Another listener writes, another sad page in our new national form of division. I'll certainly mask up with an N95 to protect myself, but perhaps equally or more saddening is that a matter of public health, one which affects Republicans and Democrats equally, now has become another source of division and anger. Dr. Chin Hong, um, I wanted to ask you, I hadn't had a chance to yet. At the beginning of this conversation, we talked about the case and we talked about Biden and his administration deciding to appeal if the CDC says that uh, masks are still necessary. A lot of the talk has been about how the Biden administration is weighing federal authority with regard to being able to make those kinds of announcements in future pandemics. Uh, the other thing is is political. Uh, you had said something really interesting earlier about how the politics of all of this is not well worked out, even if the science is showing things in a more clearer light. Uh, also, the, the Biden administration does not want to acquiesce to uh, a Trump-appointed judge either, uh, and, and in this way are kind of trying to toe a fine line with regard to, to whether or not they appeal, uh, but also don't want to show that they're acquiescing. I guess the reason I'm asking you this is because it makes me wonder if, if that is the conversation that's happening on a political level. Does it really... Does it mean that the risk is kind of a secondary question? The yes. risk of the BA2 variant? I, I think it's it's so multi-textured. But yes, it seems that politics is really driving the discourse now and not the science, not the actual risk. And that's almost taking a, 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 a sidestep, uh, you know, on, on the side. Because, you know, I think... What's being lost is this whole, I, I, I think so many people, so many of us were shocked. It's like the apocalypse where some federal judge can just say, 
I don't care what you say, CDC. I know this. I know the science better, and people are just fed up of wearing a mask, and it's it's causing anxiety. So let me just do away with all of this. And I think it's done if you do, done if you don't. If you don't contest it, then what will happen next when we have avian flu or some bad influenza outbreak or Ebola? Um, could some judge just say, you know, I don't want this community uh, sheltering in place because uh, this hemorrhagic fever is just a mild inconvenience. I think it really makes a big statement, not just for the now, but for the future. Let me go to Layla in Santa Clara. Hi, Layla. Go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say that I am actually happy about the mask mandates being removed on public transit. I have a son with autism, and it's really hard for him to keep on the mask. And mm. it's not always easy to explain to everyone, um, even with airlines and things like that, why he can't wear it. And, you know, it takes up time and it's a problem. So I, I think that empathy and understanding goes both ways. Um, yeah. I'm not necessarily selfish. Uh, I just think that, you know, everybody has their own uh, issues and problems that they're working with, and everyone's trying to do the best that they can. So. Oh, Layla. Layla, thanks. Let me go to Bess in Siskiyou County. Hi, Bess. Hi. Uh, listen, I just want to say, is there anybody whose mom or dad didn't teach them to cover their, cough, their mouth when they cough? I mean, this is not deep science. It's a respiratory illness. It's passed through the air. There really, shouldn't we all just remember that? That's all. Thank you. Thanks, Bess. Let me see if I can squeeze in Caleb quickly. Caleb in San Jose. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I was just wondering, uh, has there been discussion on how we can approach this issue uh, for future pandemics? Um, we know that this COVID isn't a one-off thing, and we know pandemics are going to be coming in the future. And considering how partisan and off-guard we seem to be for this time around, how do we approach something as controversial and, and seemingly simple as mask wearing for, for the future? Mm, Dr. Chin Hong. Well, I think that that's going to be very dicey. Uh, I love the question. It seems that, you know, two years ago, it would have been a no-brainer. Of course, in previous pandemics, uh, we all rallied together, um, and it seemed very straightforward. But now something as simple as a mask, which we've used in the hospital for decades, have become so politicized. Um, you know, I think it requires money, it requires uh, political will, it requires coordination. Uh, we don't, we might have the money, but we may not have the political will or the coordination. We don't have a national health system or an information surveillance system. And the pandemic office prior to the COVID was dismantled. So these are all cautionary tales for the future that I hope we can rally uh, for. Well, Dr. Peter Chenong, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thanks so much, Mina. Dr. Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UCSF Medical Center. My thanks also to listeners for sharing their questions, their comments, their experiences, and where they're at right now as they're processing this latest decision um, and this stage in the pandemic. Also so grateful to Caroline Smith and Susie Britton for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.